Hi, thanks for tuning in today. My name is Matt Scott, and at the start of 2017, I launched a little project by the name of 108 Degrees of Impact. I, probably like you, was tired of the anger I saw everywhere I looked. Politics, news, social media. I wanted people to take action, to be the change they want to see in the world, rather than sitting on the sidelines. This podcast features the stories of the innovators and impact players I've met along my own journey to befriend and celebrate 180 people changing our world for the better. This week's episode features my conversation with my very own sister, Lindsay Scott. I interviewed Lindsay in December of 2017, right around the time of her birthday. And I spoke with her about the impact that she's making, not just through the apps that she's coding, but through inspiring girls, women, and others who don't feel like they have a place in the tech field to see that regardless of who they are, regardless of their interests, regardless of the perceptions of others, they can make an impact. And most recently, just in the last couple of weeks, Lindsay has gone viral yet again because there are people online so many trolls who say that a woman, especially a woman who's been a Victoria's Secret model, the first black Calvin Klein exclusive, and more, doesn't have the skills to be a computer science maven. And truth be told, if we're going to stand in truth and stand in facts, Lindsay graduated from college years and years ago with a computer science degree and a theater degree, and she has used those both so incredibly in her careers as a model, as an actor, as an app developer. So that's enough me talking, but I'm hoping that you will listen to my conversation with Lindsay, which of course will be filled with all of the normal sibling stuff, uh, which is a lot of fun to listen back to. Uh, but also if you're interested in hearing more conversations from 180 Degrees of Impact, I encourage you to check out www.letscare. And if you're looking for more on Lindsay, check her out on social media at Lindsay360. Now, let's take a listen. everyone and welcome to 180 degrees of impact my name is Matt Scott and uh, I'm joined today by Lindsay Scott who is related to me hey Lindsay how's it going I'm fine my brother Matthew how are you great and I think you know you refer to me as your brother Matthew but I think you know you know, this is my, you know, my site, my, so you're my sister, oh. Lindsay. But, um, you know, I, I could go into introducing you, explaining who you are, but um, I can't do your introduction justice because I, you are a woman of many talents. So I'd love if you could introduce yourself to the 180 Degrees of Impact audience. Okay. Well, I am Lindsay Scott. Uh, I am Matthew Scott's sister. And I, um, I've spent my post-collegiate life as an actress, model, and iOS app developer. Um, I'm currently living in LA, and yes, that's all that I have for my intro. It's interesting. I, I get that. So I want to kind of get into more specifically uh, what you worked on because you really just in one sentence just like 
grazed over your career and your being a model and an app developer and even more your computer science skills. So, and actress, you, you forgot. And, act, and actress too. Like yeah. where, so what would you, I want to kind of take a step back. Um, sure. You know, I know just knowing your background that you weren't, you know, you, you became a professional model after you graduated college. Um, but I'd like to go way back to, you know, when you first started with app development and with computer science and coding. Um, the big question I know, see, I feel like I'm inserting a lot into our conversation. That's fine. I know a lot of the backgrounds, but for people who aren't aware, um, you know, a lot of people ask you, Lindsay, how does it feel to be a model and an app developer? Like, would you rather have beauty or brain? So I'd love to start, you know, at the beginning. How did you get started uh, developing your brains? Well, uh, I, I, I would read as a kid, <laughs> and then I went to school. I went to preschool, then, then elementary school, then high school, then college. And in college, I, I'd already developed my brains you know, a little bit before then. But at a certain point, I found my way into computer science course. I was already a theater major. I, I knew that I 100% wanted to act after college, so that was important to me. But I also wanted to explore other subjects. I tried physics, I tried economics, and when I found my way into computer science course, it really uh, felt like I was in the right place. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started uh, studying computer science. When did you first code? When did you first begin to do that? Um, well, that was when I really first got into coding, but I guess when I was much younger, I played around on my T89 graphing calculator, maybe when I was in middle school. And uh, I didn't really think of it as coding at the time. So uh, it, it just dawned on me later, wait a second, that was kind of similar to what I finally ended up doing. See, I'm curious why you uh, started like fooling around on your TI-89, you said? Your TI-89, yeah. like as your brother, I, oh. I didn't, I, you know, I'm not a coder. So I'm wondering what was the impetus for you to begin yeah. code? Well, at 12, I wasn't a coder either, and 12, you weren't a coder. So it was just a matter of checking out the resources that I had around me and exploring them. So um, I knew that people shared games on their graphing calculator. And then I saw that my calculator came with this huge book of documentation. So then I read it, and I'm like, oh, I can create my own games. Wow. So I wasn't, not, I wasn't born a coder, just like you weren't. But uh, just like anyone could at any point in their life, they can where you can check out uh, the documentation, you could study programming, and then uh, you might be a, a great coder yourself. I mean, that's what people tell me. They always, well, they you ask. Know, I hear it all the time. Matthew, he's such a great coder. He's the greatest coder that never was. They do tell me I'm a great coder. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? No, that's me. Because they confuse me and you. Because this actually might be a really confusing interview. People might have a hard time distinguishing. Telling us apart. You and yeah. yeah, I know. It's really tough. Yeah. But I, I guess just kind of going into it more, you know, you mentioned your undergrad studying computer science. Yeah. Um, but I think... You know, for a lot of people, like for me, when I graduated college, that's really the time where, um, you know, you have to make a decision about what you want to do in your life, or you're made to think you have to make a decision about what you want to do in your life. 
Uh, did you talk about like if that was a factor for you? Did you feel like you had to make a decision? Oh, yeah. No, my decision was made before college. I knew that I was going to act. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I got out of college, I was on the internet. I was looking up auditions. I was, I moved back in with my parents in New Jersey, went back and forth between New Jersey and New York, just auditioning, meeting people, you know, uh, doing, shooting a lot of student films, independent films, um, et cetera. And then I eventually found my way into modeling as well. It's a tough, I'm sure it's a tough business to get started in though, the modeling and the acting, but. I guess it depends. You know, some people have the connections and the resources. They probably go out of school and they just know, they get an agent right away and they do all that. It took a little time for me, but uh, I guess I, I, I worked really hard. You know, I just went out and kept meeting people until something stuck. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, I found acting representation. Oh no, well I became SAG very quickly. Um, which is the Screen Actors Guild, the Actors mm -hmm. Union. And so that helped me get an agent. And because this modeling agency that I first signed with also had an acting agency, I, I figured, okay, let me just get with them for both acting and modeling. Mm -hmm. What was the, what were the most difficult parts, especially as you were getting started? Um, just learning how to navigate everything. I think I was pretty savvy in a lot of ways. Like I didn't get scammed. I was probably really skeptical of uh, fortunately people that put up auditions on the internet. I, I you know, I didn't trust uh, most people. I did a lot of research, um, but I know that it's difficult for a lot of people who start out and it's best to be very, very, very careful when you start out on your own. Mm -hmm. um, but I was lucky in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, I, I was lucky in a, several respects. I was able to stay at home with our parents and you know I was able to commute back and forth into the city and um, I was fortunate that I started making money quickly enough to you know not struggle too much and to be able to move out of our parents house yeah within the first year and a half or so wow yeah it's crazy to think about that I mean it that doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but you've done so much since then. Uh, just to talk about though, uh, you mentioned the computer science aspect and having a college degree. And I know that a lot of models, um, you know, might be in high school or might not be, you know, as advanced as you were in terms of your education, especially. Like, did you find that there were, how did you find that that impacted you? Just the fact that you had your more experience than a lot of other models. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the main difference was just our ages, like, uh, and just the, the times when we started modeling. Like, many of those young women were just as educated as I was at their age. You know, a lot of them were still in school, or some of them had to leave their families you know, and skip school for a bit in order to travel the world and make money to send home. They had a lot of intelligence and experience that I definitely didn't have at their age and didn't even have when I started modeling. Just the way that all these young girls are able to travel the world and just figure things out on their own and um, take care of themselves. I mean, that's um, an intelligence that I would never say is less important than a formal education. Yeah, I think it's really interesting though, uh, because at least from 
from my perspective or from perspective of, I'm sure a lot of people who first heard of you because of modeling, like for, from their perspective, they didn't know about your computer science education for mm-hmm. the most part. And then from my perspective, I see you going after this modeling piece. Did you ever have any doubt that you would, you know, end up where you are now, where you're, you're full-fledged with your, you know, feet in acting and modeling and app development? Was oh, there- well, I didn't expect to be yeah. an app developer. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, there wasn't really any app development when I started uh, after college, like that iPhone was brand new. Um, they didn't allow iOS app development. So when I graduated from college, I didn't think there was any sort of programming that I would find particularly interesting. Um, it was not at all um, on my radar. And even as a model and actress, I never, uh, I didn't, I it didn't feel like a programmer at all. Like I, I, yeah, I had this education, but it was irrelevant to my life at that point in time um, yeah. because I wasn't doing it and, and I didn't plan on doing it. Um, but yeah, eventually as time went on and the technologies developed, that's when it became more interesting to me. Like it sounds to me though, from what you're explaining that there was some thought that maybe you wouldn't of course be a programmer or an app. Oh no, yeah. I, no, there was no thought that I would be a programmer. What I was it that you, what was it that you envisioned though, when you looked at your career after college, was it like acting and modeling exclusively? Um, probably right after college acting exclusively modeling was sort of a surprise and um, I was able to keep auditioning through the modeling process but um, modeling was going so well that I had to travel a lot too Mm -hmm. so I was still I still had the opportunity to take acting classes and and uh, do great auditions I was considered for some really great acting roles too along that point in time but yeah, when modeling picked up, I took advantage of that opportunity and did a lot of modeling at the time when originally I just thought I would do acting. I didn't realize that I had, I didn't realize I was model material. I get that. I, I usually, when I look in the mirror, I yeah. don't necessarily see it, but you know, people tell me that I yeah. am the model. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. All the time. And yeah. Yeah. They tell you too that I'm. Oh, yeah. That you're a model. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That sounds good. I just figured that I only heard it on Twitter. But uh, anyway, so just to talk about the modeling for a little bit, um, how did you know that you, when did you really realize that modeling was something that you could commit to? Like, what what were the opportunities that came up? Wow, I'm a model. I'm a supermodel. Okay, well, even before that, before that, before I had any success, I first realized that I could get into this whole modeling thing when I would show up on set and the photo shoots felt a lot like acting, where I would be becoming these different characters. I would look at my clothes and the set and I'd try to make my expression, my body, you know, match the mood of whatever the artist was going for, the photographer. So I felt like um, an artist in a lot of ways as a model that I, I also feel like an artist when I'm, when I'm acting. Um, but yeah, my first big modeling job was came out of nowhere. It was an exclusive contract with Calvin Klein. I was the first African-American 
uh, female model to land an exclusive contract with Calvin Klein. And so it was very exciting. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, I started doing campaign work for, I did a campaign for DKNY. I did several, I think, over the course of that year. And I ended up that fall doing uh, shows for Prada, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, um, Diane von Furstenberg. I did a lot of work with Diane von Furstenberg, like print stuff. And um, yeah, I ended up just working with a lot of great designers. I ended up doing the Victoria's Secret show too that year. And um, I ended up shooting for great magazines, um, various vogues from all over the world. And W Magazine, I shot with them a bunch. Um, yeah, and lots of advertising work. And so with all of that, and I had, I don't know, seven agencies all over the world. So I was just traveling a lot and working a lot. I was sometimes on a plane three times a week for really long stretches of time. I was living in different countries. I, I had my apartment in New York, but I was also sometimes in London for six up to six months, Paris, Berlin. Um, I'd work in Milan, I'd work in Spain, all over. Yeah. Um, LA too, sometimes. I think it's really interesting. Like you were definitely clearly like neck deep in just modeling and I'm sure also pursuing acting at the time, but yeah. neck deep in that, um, but I think the big reason why I thought you'd be so great for 100 Age Degrees of Impact is really like that turning point where uh, things, it, I guess, at least from my perspective, changed overnight when you went from <laughs> being recognized just as, as this model and actress to um, being recognized as an app developer. Uh, but you talk about like what happened that led to that shift okay well yeah it definitely wasn't overnight um maybe this aspect of recognition was but by that point i was used to recognition enough that i didn't take it too seriously like i know mm -hmm. not to take uh articles about me or uh you know even no matter how positive they are um it's only one aspect of yourself like this sort of um, public recognition just wasn't important to me aside from the fact that it helped me with my work. Um, but other than that re recognition, it definitely wasn't an overnight process. I think at a certain point, I was unhappy with my management, my modeling management in New York. So I left for Europe. I stayed in Paris uh, for six months and then I stayed in Berlin for six months and during that entire year I discovered I'd, right right before I left I started getting into iOS development because I got my first iPhone and just the same way that I saw my TID9 graphing calculator and said oh I could do that I saw my iPhone and I thought oh I can make apps like that mm -hmm. so I started looking at documentation looking up online uh, the YouTube videos that would teach me how to program for iOS I learned Objective-C, which was the um, only language for iOS at the time. And I spent that year modeling. Uh, I think I did some work for Yves Saint Laurent uh, uh, quite a bit in Paris. And then I worked for, I did a lot of fashion shoots, Harper, Harper's Bazaar, like a lot of fashion shoots in Berlin. Um, but during that time, I was also coding a lot, just practicing, practicing, 
building app, my first apps, you know, just to get my uh, feet wet in programming. I, I would just keep programming, programming all the time. And then by the time I got to, back to the US and I found out that my agency that had agreed that I should go over to Europe a year ago, that they dropped me mm-hmm. off their boards before I got back, like without saying a word, I'm like, whoa, what do I do now? And it became clear that I needed at least some extra control over my work life. So even though I found a new modeling agency and was able to get work still, I think I came back and I shot for CoverGirl and, you know, a bunch of other uh, beauty stuff. Even though I did have that modeling life, I started turning down some work to focus on the programming stuff just so that I could build that up a bit more in case I needed that as a source of income. Yeah, I think it's powerful. Like, obviously, it was it was definitely a journey to uh, to the point where you were like, as you mentioned, embracing app development more. But I think what the thing that I have in my mind is I think of Cora and I think of you posting about your uh, posting pictures of you from when you were growing up versus next to like your Victoria's Secret pictures. And it's funny because recently, like maybe a couple weeks ago or in the last week or so, I've looked at different interviews and I mean, we, we could get into that or we don't have to get into it, but a lot of the questions and just the concept behind it is, uh, is like, it's difficult because I know for Cora, for instance, it's the headline was something to the effect of, uh, I used to be uh, nerdy or ugly and now I'm beautiful. How did that feel at the time and how does that experience of this thing going viral feel now in terms of your core the core posts kind of again really going viral in terms of people upvoting it or choosing to share i know it was the headline in cora's newsletter for the week and so I'm well, curious how that felt the time i, I answered the question of my own volition it's not yeah. like i was tricked into answering it in some no. way i think at the time i was feeling kind of down because um, I, I'd released some apps, like I geared towards the fashion industry mm-hmm. and no one was responding to me. Even though these people were so, uh, I'd walk into a room before and they'd be like, Lindsay, Lindsay, how are you? And then as soon as I disappeared to Europe for a bit and came back and put out apps, it was silence. And I, I was, so I was kind of down about that, but I was also... I'd been away for a while, so I didn't have the same close friendships that I had in New York when I came back. And I came back, I had a birthday party. It was really, really cold outside, but barely anyone showed up. And so I'm like, okay, this feels very familiar um, and very, uh, like there, I guess there was, at the time, I still harbored some sort of insecurities from not being super popular as a, or like popular at all as a kid or a teenager, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And then still struggling to have these connections with people as an adult, even though I was a successful model, you know, um, it still was a struggle. Mm-hmm. So I think I wrote that. I must have written that at 3 a.m. after programming. I was programming all night and I was probably like in a daze. And I, I saw this email coming from Cora and I answered it and I didn't expect 
I didn't expect it to get, I didn't realize that Cora was so big at the time where like right. all these people would be answering it. I mean, or responding to me and liking it and syndicating the posts on different um, news sites. I didn't expect that at all. And I was a little freaked out in the morning when I'm like, oh, oh, what did I get myself into? But um, it was definitely my honest feelings at that point in time, just this, this, uh, this shift in life where people will view you one way at one point in time based on your physical appearance and then things will change and uh, in the way they treat you. But um, I was still feeling like the same person dealing with the same insecurities in spite of the way that I might have appeared to the world. So I remember answering that question um, just because it felt like something I was processing in my mind at that particular point in time and that I wanted to get out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then that post took off and um, it quickly transformed into model as a programmer story. I couldn't even keep up with the news transformation. Like I didn't, I didn't, um, one, one person would do an interview about one thing and then the, the interview changed topics in the next interview. Like it was a whole new topic and then there's a whole new topic and eventually the story just kept evolving until it was a model as a programmer story. Yeah. As opposed to uh, what it feels like to go from ugly duckling to beautiful swan story. And I think it's it's really interesting though because even still with the model is a programmer story, like I think there are so many, I don't know how many articles or interviews has happened with you. And I remember being at Good Morning America for the interview. Yeah. Also, there was another interview. I, I don't remember who it was with, but similarly, it almost seemed like the conversation was always like, do you have a hard time like dating with your, your dating life and so on and so forth. And I, that's something that I think is, is interesting. Like you were faced with having these, um, this really good story where it's talking about how intelligent you are. And yet at the same time, a lot of the focus would be on uh, these things that are more, it's a tabloid focus. Yeah. I mean, that's how a lot of the news is though nowadays. And you were there that yeah. day at Good Morning America and you saw how I tried to avoid the dumb questions right. <laughs> or the questions that weren't really pertinent to like the fact that here I am on national TV, I'm trying to promote um, computer science education. I'm trying yeah. to get more young women and minorities into programming. And here are these questions that are more like tabloid sort of fodder. Um, so I tried to avoid them the best that I could, um, but I, I gave them a little bit of what they needed for their uh, new show. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, there was, I remember there's also the Bloomberg TV interview. That's probably the one. Yeah, um, people found that a bit funny how he, he asked what it was like being an object. <laughs> and I responded at least in a way that made him know that I never felt like an object um, as a model. Yeah. Um, mm. But um, yeah, there is that tabloid aspect to it. And I think because of that, I remember there was the CNN article and I rarely look at comments for articles, but the comments were just full of things saying that I'm probably not a real programmer, that I'm someone's doing my code for me, that mm -hmm. anybody could be a programmer, that it's easy to make apps, or that I 
even things about my appearance. Somebody wrote that I looked like I got went ten rounds with a prize fighter in a ring. You know, <laughs> just horrible things. Like people were just nasty all the way around. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I really just wanted to use that attention to promote the uh, need for more diversity in computer science and technology. It's so important in so many ways. For our economy, it's important um, for, you know, just to level that playing field so that not all power and technology lies with, you know, white men, mm -hmm. as it currently does now. I think it's super important to promote diversity in tech. And I, I tried, but of course, there's a there's a part of doing these sort of model as coder interviews that got very tiresome because it was hard to get the points across when they wanted to to make it a clickbait sort of story. I mean, as you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily the easiest opportunity, especially with a lot of the questions you were being asked. But before I ask you, Lindsay, a question about some of the questions that you've been asked and how that's evolved over time, I want to tell you and this audience about something that's very close to my heart, a project that I'm working on at my full-time work at the organization Second Muse, and it is an initiative by NASA called the International Space Apps Challenge. And just to give you an idea of space apps, in 2017, 187 cities hosted space apps hackathons. And you talked about the people in tech who typically hold the power, the traditional people. Well, space apps is all about inviting people from a diverse range of backgrounds and walks of life to come together to create solutions to problems here on Earth and in space. One thing that distinguishes space apps from other hackathons is that it's focused on using NASA's open data sets to solve challenges created by NASA. And last year I mentioned 25,000 participants, 187 cities, more than 2,000 solutions created. Space apps is amazing. It's for artists, it's for coders, it's for students, it's for storytellers, it's for experts, it's for scientists, it's for anyone and everyone because everyone should have a chance to get hands on with tech. And so, if you want to learn more about space apps, you could just go to 2018.spaceappschallenge.org and sign up. I would really love and appreciate that. But also, you could go to let's.care slash space apps to see a link, click, learn more, sign up at a location near you because there are locations worldwide where you could meet people, get involved, and engage with technology in ways like never before and like people never thought you could. Now, back to my conversation with Lindsay. Uh, but, you know, over time, one thing I'm wondering is, have you, have you seen a change in the questions that people are asking you when you do interviews? Or, do you think that the dynamic is changing? Because I look back at it now, especially, and I'm sure I saw all of it at the time, but now I look back like, if if we show this to if I show this to one of my friends, for instance, they maybe then they would say, "Oh, that was like fun, like Lindsay's model." But now they'd say, "Like, whoa, those those questions were like a little bit like, you know, whatever you want to call them." Is this the uh, the uh, what would you call it? The Weinstein Revolution? Right. Yeah. I mean, especially now, um, 
But do you have have the questions changed for like the interviews that you're? Well, I don't do as many interviews about it because it's like I don't. I never really wanted to be branded in that way. Mm -hmm. I I thought that it was a good opportunity to spread awareness and educate people. But um, one, I don't do as much modeling as I used to. I do a lot of acting. I do programming for companies like I'm all I'm not doing my own apps I'm doing lots of client work um and so I'm really busy I Mm -hmm. I am doing everything that I love doing um but I don't necessarily feel like doing these interviews because it just becomes a way to promote myself as this model programmer combo Mm -hmm. that is that sort of disregards the actual uh, point of um, my doing these interviews. I want to definitely take a step back to the point of doing the interviews and talking more about that. But first, Mm -hmm. tell me about, this is probably really going to be difficult for you because I know there are a lot of apps that you've worked on, but like, what are, what apps have you built since you since you started coding apps? I'll limit it to the last uh, ten years, maybe, to like make it a little bit easier. Well, I I haven't been doing app, iOS app development for right. I've done programming for a long yeah, time, yeah, yeah. but not iOS app development. Um, and uh, you know, I've done a lot of client work, um, and I've done tutorials. I do tutorials for a site called Ray Wenderlich, um, but I've done tutorials on optical character recognition. Google, uh, well, no, not Google, Apple Maps and routing, um, Google Cardboard. Um, I think I just released an update to the uh, optical character recognition tutorial. Um, Core core text, uh, which is like a text rendering tutorial. Um, uh, So I've done a lot of tutorials for that site that include apps that I make for specifically for the tutorials. And for clients, I tend to do a lot of work that in, I love doing work that involves video and images. I like visual apps. Um, one of my clients now, it's not very visual, but it's still a charity-based app, and I like doing that as well. Um, I can talk about apps that I've done, but the thing is, I don't maintain them. They're no longer active because um, it doesn't pay the bills the same way as the client work does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all I would really say about the apps that I do now is that I do apps that are fun to make visually in some way. I tend to do that, and I like to put my own spin on whatever a client is asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with great companies now, you know, with with lots of people where I'm the solo iOS developer, and that's a great feeling to have so much control over a particular aspect of the company that I'm so fond of. I love iOS specifically mm-hmm. more than any other programming I've done. Um, and yeah, I'm very fortunate that I get to have a flexible schedule with programming. I don't go into an office. Mm-hmm. I get to work from home. I am allowed to set my own hours. And I just uh, am able to do that. I'm able to do my acting classes every week. I'm able to go to my auditions. I'm able to shoot any acting roles I might get. So um, I, I feel very lucky that I'm able to do all of that right now. 
Right. And I think the, I mean, you, you just mentioned a lot, but at yeah, the I know. time it's, I just realized that. it only scratches the surface of, you know, what the work that you've done. And yeah. I think about like the, what you were talking about with promoting um, diversity in tech and like a more, a different face of tech is how I'll sum it up in terms of, you know, not being uh, white man centric. Uh, could you talk about like where that notion came from of why you decided that it was important for you to use that platform to talk about? That's a good question. I think uh, around that time that I started getting media attention for the programming, I'd been trying to build up my coding profile in order to maybe get some programming work because it was very difficult to convince people at first that I was a programmer. Um, I guess I didn't fit the typical programmer stereotype. And so I, um, I, I, in order to try to convince people that I was a real programmer, I started answering a lot of questions on the site called Stack Overflow. And um, I was faced during that time with some sexism, some comments that would um, mentioned the fact that I was a model and that I should go back to wearing lingerie or something instead of pretending to be a programmer, you know? So I, I, I realized during that time and even if I, if I answered people's questions on Stack Overflow, um, they would assume that I was a man. Like they say, thanks man. Say, thanks bro. Mm. And they're like, no, I'm not your bro, bro. But um, it, it, even when you go to hackathons or events, whenever I'm around programmers, even now, I realize that I don't look like everyone else. And I think it's important for women and minorities to have spaces where they feel more comfortable um, in many ways, but in this case, when it comes to computer programming and computer science and technology, just to be able to walk in a room and feel like you belong is, it, it can be difficult when you're often dealing with a lot of personality types um, with these programmers who don't necessarily know how to interface with uh, <laughs> women or, uh, or people unlike them in, uh, in uh, programming or science mm -hmm. environment. So I felt like it was really important to make it a better space for me to even um, <laughs> be in, mm -hmm. to, to, be, to, to try to have, you know, just try to feel more comfortable and like even just let these typical programmers know that there are other programmers out there who don't look like them, but they can be just as great as they are, even though we're not so visible. Um, so I, uh, I, I thought it was important in that sense for programmers now, but I also think it's important for people just to know that, uh, that it's possible for them to become programmers in a society that's so becoming so technology driven. It's not only um, possible, but it's important. You know, it's becoming more and more important. And I think a lot of people don't know anything about what programming is. They just hear it, they're like, okay, that sounds scary. That sounds like something I can't do. 
Um, and especially with women, I, I realize I, I hear often that they, I mean, they might not know anything about programming. They didn't have the resources growing up. It's not like mo schools are becoming better about teaching um, kids computer science and programming, but it's not uh, always accessible, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it's important for uh, people who might not normally just get that introduction into programming computer science to just see, okay, there are people out there that look like me who are into this and who love it. Maybe there's this chance that I could be into this too. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's nice to see role models that look like you. Um, just, I think it makes it easier to see yourself in that same place. Yeah. So um, if I can help inspire some people who can identify with me in whatever way, then great. And I've, I, I do like using whatever platform I have in order to um, influence and uh, educate and um, serve as a role model in some way for uh, future app developers, et cetera. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's, I mean, and I'll also say, of course, as you know, this applies to a lot of women in tech and people of color in tech where like clearly through all that you've mentioned about your skills, like even though you were recognized, um, we could go on and on with all the different publications like you were still sold short in terms of what you accomplished and yeah. you still are in a lot of ways like I think of the fact that you know you've spoken now for instance you've spoken at Facebook and a bunch of other events and conferences so I've yeah, Harvard yeah. all over the world yeah, so it's pretty cool I th but the one that comes to mind for me is the one one of the few that I went to, which was Hack Holyoke at, at uh, Mount Yeah, Holyoke. with Alexis. Oh, Alexis Ohanian. Yeah, co-founder of Reddit. And of Reddit. Uh, I, remember, I remember that because, um, and also, you know, it, it, I remember that because I was, I, I witnessed you two, you know, doing what you were doing at the event. But I also really witnessed people uh, like I specifically, I think of Eva Snyder, mm -hmm. who's the co-founder or the founder of Hack Holyoke at the time, yeah. has since like graduated and I think is now working at uh, either Google or YouTube. But mm -hmm. um, like I think of like how people looked at you to think like, wow, this is someone who I want to be like in a lot of ways one day. I know, flat, uh -huh. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, do you do you have stories like that, or is there like a story, one story or a couple of stories that just re resonate with you or stand out, like where you met well, someone and you're like, wow, I didn't realize that I had that much of an impact on people. Yeah, there were several times. I mean, I've had many girls come up to me and just express that sort of thing, and it's I I, I can barely believe it, you know, that I've inspired them as much as I have. Mount, that Hack Holyoke was such a beautiful experience, though. Mm -hmm. Those young women were so such great programmers, so smart. And I, I'm from, I went to school at Amherst, you know, mm -hmm. one of the five colleges that, uh, right near uh, Mount Holyoke. So it was kind of nice going back to that sort of environment. Um, I felt a sense of recognition um, when it came to that area. It's a special sort of area with special people. And it was nice to go back to that level of open-mindedness and, um, and academic 
uh, um, curiosity, mm-hmm. you know, and the young women at that hackathon and the other half of students there who were young men, it was a 50-50 hackathon. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that everyone there was, both men and women were trying to promote that idea of diversity in programming and technology and that they were doing it in a way that was so respectful and easy. Um, I thought it was just so beautiful, that event. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think overall, like we could go on forever and this interview is definitely going to be a little bit longer than most of them, but I'm okay with that. I think just to kind of get to near to, to approach the end of the interview, I'm curious, like what piece for one, what piece of advice or what pieces of advice do you have for, um, like, I think especially for the young women, but I'll say in general for people um, like you who didn't see themselves in uh, this tech computer science coding hackathon realm. Mm-hmm. I, I guess my piece of advice would be to stay curious. You know, uh, if there's something that you even might be a little interested in or something that you hear about, why not go out and research it and find it out if it's something that's for you because I think a lot of people miss a lot of opportunities in life um, by not stepping outside their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that would be my main bit of advice, just try, you know? Sometimes it's it, it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah, I think that's powerful advice and it's simple, but that's really great advice. And again, one thing I think is really impressive about your work is that like it I've even noticed it doesn't take a lot <laughs> at at Hack Holyoke. I was really oh, yeah. in the sense that for instance you would give like you would have a short conversation with one person and then I would see them and they're like, oh my gosh, I just had a conversation with you. Yeah, but the nice thing about hackathons is yeah. that I get to educate too. Like I, mm-hmm. I get to explain uh well but that hackathon I didn't get to do as much because um well, one, they, were, they knew what they were doing, but two, uh, I specifically, my expertise is app development, and there were some app developers there, and I was able to help with even Android stuff, too, since logic is, I mean, in general, programming logic is sim- mm-hmm. similar, but the, similar, but the hardware is also sim- like similar enough that I you know, understood what was going on. Um, but yeah, I love educating. I mm-hmm. love to go to these hackathons and teach people new things. Um, for example, at, there's a, a yearly hackathon at UCLA that is so much fun to be able to walk around and just help everyone with their code. Um, yeah. I, I love that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, even without knowing all the technical stuff or even without going into long technical explanations, mm-hmm. that little bit of um, encouragement or knowledge or anything to go a long way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I guess the, I have two, really two more questions for you. Um, I guess the first I'll ask is what do you see as being like your next steps or your goals for your 
career and you could take that however you want whether with modeling or acting or with app development i'm curious like what you see on the horizon or what your well, yeah are. i feel like i'm in a really good i i i'm in a really good swing of things right now where i have this freedom with the programming where i have these great contracts with great companies and great flexibility um and i'm also being able to do the acting stuff um i guess the next steps would be to uh book more of the acting stuff and continue on with programming around that because um no matter how great my entertainment careers can be and i know from experience there's just no um guarantee so it's nice that i have clients that are accepting of my schedule and will let me work um a, a, a range of hours per week in order to keep me on the team um so i hope to keep developing with uh my art and my love for science and um i guess whatever happens happens i'll just keep trying my best i'll get and to improving and, and improving yeah, yeah improving i'm always trying to educate myself i that's why i do my acting classes i'll I'll, as as I do work with more clients, I I try to step into new technologies and find out the latest and greatest stuff that I could implement. Um, and when I do my tutorials, I learn a lot. I often do tutorials for Ray Wunderlich about um, things that I know nothing about, just in order to learn about them. And the same for answering questions on Stack Overflow. Now I'm, I think I'm in the number the. Uh, top 1% of programmers who've answered questions on their site. And um, one way in which I've learned a lot is by answering questions that I don't know the answers to, to, to take some time to do a little research and come up with an answer to someone else's question. Um, that's how I learned Swift. <laughs> I started out knowing just Objective-C. I spent a month answering questions about this new Apple programming language called Swift, and that's how I learned uh, to program in both. And um, so I think uh, this need for me to be curious uh, and to, to strive and just try to, to always try to improve. Um, I hope it never leaves me and I hope that it leads me to my next adventure. Yeah. I think as I get to my final question, mm -hmm. I, I keep thinking of the question that I feel like you've gotten, I couldn't tell you how many times, but probably dozens of times, which is like, would you rather have beauty or brains? Like, would you rather, and it's such a ridiculous question. And yeah. I just want to, I, I don't, I don't even think you need to address that. It's like the most frustrating question though, that that would be asked. And I just wanted to comment before I get to my last question, which is not that, that I hope that that's not a question that like, you continue to get, but also that that's not a question that like, women get for any field. Cause I know it's not even like a modeling exclusive thing. Like there's so many yeah. um, variations of that. But my last question is, <laughs> A question I always end with. Yeah. If your life were a book or documentary, what would the title be and why? 
Yes, I thought long and hard about this question, actually, just assuming that you would ask it to me. Oh, and of course. Well, I came up with this brilliant title, Lindsay's Life, okay? Because it would be about my life. So, you know, but beyond that, <laughs> beyond that brilliant title, I have a feeling that I've still got a lot of life to live and that title might change eventually. You know, give it a few years and I will have the, the final title for my book ready. And hopefully I'll be able to look back at lots of accomplishments and put them all together in a way that, uh, that um, would look really, really great on a, a book or uh, whatever the DVDs of the future are. Maybe on uh, Netflix, which would be- um, Yeah, I think in the future Netflix too. I think um, whatever, maybe dial into people's head and they'll say, oh, the title of my book or DVD or MP3 or MP3. I'm just shocked because <laughs> every time I've asked that question, that's the first time someone has, you, you basically, you have a self-titled book or documentary. Yeah. That's really innovative. Yeah, yeah, but I think uh, it, it, my title has yet to be written. So speaking of uh, titles and yeah. uh, things that are written, see, yeah. like that segue, uh, where can people find you online and connect with you online? Okay, well, uh, I have my website, www.lindsayscott.com, and my name is spelled L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y, Scott with two T's.com. And they can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lindsay360, also with that same Lindsay spelling. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. And for anyone who wants to learn more about 100 Degrees of Impact, again, I'm assuming you might already know. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Interview. Of course, yeah, you do. I know that you're a oh. big fan, the biggest <laughs> fan. But for anyone who's watching, you can visit www.lets.care. It's L-E-T-S dot C-A-R-E. Wow, what a great domain name. It's so easy to remember and just so right to the point. Thank you. And by the way, on all of the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, it's at Let's You Care. That's at Let's Y-O-U hair. That's even. Follow, follow, like, comment, subscribe, share, all the above. And uh, Lindsay, thanks again yeah. for joining. This has been Thank great. you for having me. All of your wisdom is amazing. And I'm sure that I'll hear a lot of feedback about this interview. And for anyone who's watching until next time, keep impacting. I'm going to stop. Keep impacting. <laughs> Thanks everyone for tuning in to the 180 Degrees of Impact podcast. The music you're hearing is the song Gleam Shroom Forest by 180 Degree of Impact interviewee and inclusive soundtrack composer Jade Liam Traskel, aka JD Wasabi. For more of her work, which is epic, visit wasabi-playground.com. For a video version of today's interview and more like it, visit www.letscare and at let's.care. You can also join our email list to receive the latest 180 Degree of Impact interviews when they're posted. 
Also, follow along on social media at Let's You Care. And last but not least, I wouldn't be a true podcaster if I didn't ask you to please rate, review, and subscribe. Those five stars go a long way to helping others find the 100 Degrees of Impact podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep impacting.